your news, your entertainment, your business. We're on a mission from God. This is the Rich Rothman Show. Good afternoon, everybody. It's 5 o'clock straight up. Welcome to the Rich Rothman Show. I am Rich Rothman. Good to have you here today. Um, As I said, it's 5 o'clock straight up. We're looking forward to having you here on 880 The Biz, right here on 880 The Biz. The number is 866-954-4276. That's 866-954-4276. And if you have a comment you'd like to make about what we're going to talk about today, then that's the place to do it. And we encourage you to do that because we want to hear what you have to think. You know, there's a lot happening right now. I mean, today was a big day, Alex. I mean, we had this big school thing with uh, President Obama coming in, you know. And what do you think about that? Ended up being a big deal. I'm kind of surprised. I mean, maybe because I haven't been in school for a while. I'm an adult now. Uh, I'm not a parent either, so I can't relate to it really on any front. But um, I I don't really know what to think of it, to be honest with you. I want you to convince me, Rich, how I should feel about it because uh, I can go either way. And that's a good question. How I feel about it. Well, First of all, I think the I think you have to ask this question. It's not so much what he said today. If I, if I can interrupt you, I, yeah, mean, I think sure. a lot of Americans want to know why should they be upset about this? What's wrong with the president wanting to speak to to school children? Well, actually, he's not the only president that's done that. A couple of presidents have done that in the past. In fact, what I find most intriguing is that back in ninety one, uh, Bush, the president involved, you know, G W G H W Bush, George. Herbert W. Bush told Barbara uh, uh, wanted to speak to uh, children in school, and he did so. You know, he did so from Alice Deal Junior High School in Washington D.C. What happened after that was amazing because he was absolutely attacked by the media. He was attacked by um, those on the left uh, for uh, actually spending twenty six thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars of public funds yeah. to place himself on radio and in television, and he didn't have to do this. And and actually, Alex, there was an investigation done by the General Accounting Office as to find out was any law broken. No, was any law broken? And as a result, they found out the GAO found out no laws were broken. It was perfectly legal for the president to do that. Now the now let's flash forward today. What is the real big deal about this? No, is it is there a big deal in anyone, anybody for that matter, getting in front of children in school and saying, I think you should do good? There's nothing wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think you should stay in school. I encourage that. I think you should become everything you're capable of being and stay in school and learn to do that. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Was one thing I've noticed today. Uh, I think a lot of the people on the far left are complaining that you know certain conservatives don't want their children, didn't want their children to go to school today, acting as if this should not be a big deal. Saying what's wrong with the president speaking to the children? The question that I would ask is: Had Bush done the same thing, would those parents then want to keep their children home? I think in a lot of cases, yes. Well, yeah. I mean, that's that's the whole point. That's what I'm trying to say is that there's such a dualistic standard. I'd like to hear your opinion out there, what you think about that, because this is a really hot ticket item. 866-954-4276, 866-954-4276. Tell us what you think, what's in your mind right now relating to this. The big question, Alex, for me, it's not so much the fact that he did it. That's that that's that's not where the 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 investigation should be when you think about this the question is why did the president do it? now he made a decision actually probably david axelrod made that decision weeks ago that the president would get up in front of the children of america and make a speech 
And, you know, we, we found out that speech was going to be what, you know, what about this president inspires you? What can you do to help this president? And it became more of a political discussion as opposed to, you know, something mundane such as stay in school and do the best you can. Plus, they were putting out, you know, uh, uh, worksheets for the students to work on that would be relevant to the politics of Obama. Now, that's where the parents started yeah. getting nuts. And that's what's suspicious to me because, I mean, when presidents are speaking to kids, usually they keep the message uh, not political at all. You know, stay it's, in school, yeah, be stay good, in school, crime just, kills, yeah, and, you know, all this stuff. General advice that any uh, adult should be giving children. Wear condoms. You never know. Good piece of advice. That's a good piece of advice. That's something that's going to come up in a minute we'll talk about. But... Uh, but the point is that what is the real reason? Why is the president, you know, for all practical purposes, going back on the campaign trail? Think about that. What he, what did Alex? What did President Obama really do best? It's not being the president. What did he really do the best for the last, you know, f- fifteen months? I'd say uh, inspire young people. Run for office. That too. When he was running for office, he gave some of the best speeches and drove everyone crazy throughout the United States. Oh my God, he's a great speaker. I mean, his minister is attacked. You know, Reverend Wright is attacked in uh, in the press for being anti-American, and by his own words, everyone had it on YouTube. Was all over the place. And this guy, this president, comes back and gives a speech in Philadelphia that following Wednesday that you know talked about you know the the. The, how bad slavery was, which of course was, you know, not that we had part of that. It's a long time ago, but that's what the speech became, and, and it became a distraction from what the problem really should have been discussed, which is you know the affiliations. So my feeling is this: I think it's, you know, this is more than meets the eye. The fact that the president did this, the fact that the president spoke to the children, the fact that this the president, you know, for one thing, really addressed the minority children in the United States, and we can talk about that when we come back. That concerns me because, you know what, there is an ulterior motive. Rahm Emanuel and David Axelrood, as he's called in Chicago, did not do this for pure Christian altruism, getting out there and making children better in the world. They did it to enhance the president's stature in the world because his numbers were plummeting. And what does this do? He's loved by a lot of people. And by the way... It's no coincidence that a lot of these high school kids will be of age in the next three to four years to vote for a president. And who do you think they're going to vote for if they're indoctrinated right now? Obama. They're going to love this guy. I think you hit the nail on the head right yeah, there. Yeah, so maybe that's a reason. He's maybe campaigning they're going to get for uh, 2012. Hundreds of thousands of children. And maybe the campaign starts now. Look when he started the last campaign when he was nothing but a just elected you know, senator from Chicago, a junior senator from Chicago. Very interesting stuff. We're going to be right back on The Rich Rothman Show uh, right here on 880. The Biz will be here in a moment. By enhancing international relations, cultural understanding, and international trade. Every year, the ITC leads two business development missions to countries that have the potential to increase trade with our community through Miami International Airport or the Port of Miami. 
The ITC is, is the uh, official well, county agency charged with the development of this He'll trade on the phone and functions yeah. as an Any umbrella organization or clearinghouse we'll like for other trade development efforts within the county. Right. Our vision is to promote and strengthen Miami-Dade County's excellent business climate, strong international financial services, and rich cultural diversity, making it the logical platform for trade with Latin America and the Caribbean. For more information about the Jay Molina International Trade Consortium, go to MiamiDade.gov slash ITC or call us at 305-375-5808. Seaboard Marine is an ocean transportation company that provides direct regular service between the United States and the Caribbean Basin, Central and South America. Seaboard Marine's success in the region for nearly 25 years has enabled it to expand into new markets, now serving nearly 40 ports in over 20 countries. Seaboard Marine's facilities include a private terminal of nearly 70 acres at the Port of Miami. Seaboard Marine carries more cargo to and from the Port of Miami than any other carrier. Although this facility complies with and exceeds all governmental security mandates, it operates seven days a week, 365 days a year, a unique convenience for its customers. Seaboard Marine serves these routes from Miami. Bahamas, Grand Cayman, Colombia, Dominican Republic, Eastern Caribbean, Haiti, Jamaica, North Central America, South Central America, Venezuela, and the West Coast of South America, including Peru, Chile, Bolivia. Seaboard Marine, a trade leader in the Western Hemisphere. Should commodities be part of your investment portfolio in 2009? What might be the performance for commodities in 2009? Where are the energy prices going? Is the bearish trend coming to an end in the U.S. dollar? Should I own gold or silver? Will the cost of food go up or down? If these questions are important to your investment strategy, then you should be talking to MB Wealth, a full-service commodity brokerage, to find out how MB Wealth is positioning its clients to take advantage of commodities over the next few months and quarters. Let MB help you at the retail level or advise you on a partial asset allocation with a commodity trading advisor with an established track record. In this volatile economy, it is more important than ever to have a diversified portfolio. Find out more on commodity investment specifics by calling MB Wealth at 954-929-9997 or log on to our website at www.mbwealth.com. While you're there, check out MB Wealth. Weekly commodity commentary plus monthly research articles. Tools that can help with your investment decisions. Call Matt Bradbart, President MB Wealth at 954-929-9997 for all the details. MB Wealth, a full-service commodity firm. Risk of loss in trading commodity futures and options can be substantial. All funds committed should be purely risk capital. Past performance is no guarantee of future trading results. No one covers local, national, and world news like Rich Rothman. And no one covers local, national, and world shipping like DHL. DHL, customer service is back in shipping. From Atlantic Radio Network. <laughs> I like nonsense. It wakes up the brain cells. This is the Rich Rothman Show. The Rich Rothman
Okay, welcome back. It's 11 minutes after the hour of 5 o'clock. If you're driving home right now, you're listening to 880 The Biz right here in beautiful Carl Gables. Uh, The number here is 866-954-4276. I'd like to hear from you. I'd like to get your opinion. What do you really think uh, the reason is for Obama to get on uh, the air today? And uh, and pump it out. You know, when a lot of other people have a message to give, Alex, it's you know very often the presidents make a public speech, uh, and they put it on on a Sunday or they do it as a PSA. Uh, they don't necessarily go into the schools. And I have to think, knowing what David Axelrod is like and in, in, in Rahm Emanuel and uh, uh, the other folks who are surrounding the president, going back to his days in uh, in, in captivity in in, in Chicago. Uh, these people don't do anything just for the sake of doing something. There's no, a reason. There's always an ulterior there's motive. There's an ulterior motive, and I have to believe that uh, there's an ulterior motive in this. And, and I have to go back to the fact that the president's approval rating, according to Scott Rasmussen, the latest poll shows a negative 11. You know, a negative 11. That's the difference between those who disapprove and those who approve. And the difference right now is about 11 points. And uh, and it's, uh, you know, very disconcerting, I think, to find that the president within six months, seven months of becoming the president being uh, not just elected, but uh, inaugurated, that his numbers you know people are not exactly giving him a free ride anymore. Certainly not. You know, they're not. And, and, and you know what I find interesting is that, you know, a lot of people got very, very upset when it was announced that the president was going to go ahead and go into the school system and 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 have you know all these children listen to him and in, and in many many schools including right here in Broward County, uh, it became mandatory. Mandatory. You couldn't opt out. It's mandatory. You'll be in big trouble, buddy, if you don't pay attention and listen to it and stay in school and you know watch the TV. Well, because I heard that you know a lot of parents were you know opting out and keeping their children at home. Was that mandatory? They could not do that in Broward. Well, County? that wasn't an excused absence. So somebody okay. would have to call in with swine flu. I mean, someone say, "Well, my kid has yeah. uh, evidence of swine flu, and we kept them." So home. it was pretty obvious. Yeah, that they would be out for that. But here, here's here's my question, and and I'd like you folks out there to listen to this and answer it for me if you can. If, in fact, um, you know, uh, there's such a, a, a rebuke, uh, such a, a really strong and, in some case, word-wise violent rebuke of the president getting out there, why is that? Why do you suppose that is? Why did a lot of people, and not just, you know, from Fox News and so forth, why did a lot of people really say, I don't want my kids subjected to this? You know, why is that? Maybe... You know, just eight, ten months ago, twelve months ago, everyone loved Obama. They thought he was great. He was the cat's man. This this guy's doing it. He's proving that you can still do it here in America, and we're going to get some change and hope and hope and change. And but why all of a sudden there are people saying, "I don't want this cat." You know, I don't want this guy talking to people. My kids. Were duped into thinking he was some kind of a miracle worker. Right? He he ran. You, know, you remember when you ran for uh, you know office in your middle school or your high school you always had that one kid who was running for president that gave you those ris- ridiculous promises he couldn't possibly actually do and uh, people voted for that guy I, I think in a lot of cases that's what happened here well i just think it, it's very very intriguing to me and i think it, it the reason is that people have seen so much come down we've had change buddy let me tell you the change we've had since you know the president became well the president you know, number one, we have the largest debt. This president signed off on the largest debt in the history of the United States within the first six months of office. 
the largest debt, more debt, totally aggregated since George Washington was done by this group, this president. That, that's number one. That concerns a lot of people. According to Rasmussen, the number one thing that's concerning people the most is the economy. So that really is just jilting everybody out there right now. They're not happy right now. They're worried because somehow we have to cover a $9 trillion debt. I mean, we're bantering these numbers around like it's a million dollars. It's not. You know, it, we're talking a serious amount of money here, cats. And, and the point is that it's scaring people. So that, that's number one. That, that's number one. Number two. You know, we have, you know, we've taken over the auto industry in the United States. You know, that's changed. I'm not so sure America bought into that, you know, 10, 15, 12 months ago when they were contemplating voting for Obama. Stupid is, stupid does, sir. That's right. Exactly correct. And so that concerns everybody because now we have this group, whomever, running General Motors. All right. Now, that that may not be the greatest thing going because we have the car czar. Well, the cars are with Steve Ratner at first, and, you know, Steve Ratner had no car background, no manufacturing background. He had an investment background, and he was a writer at the New York Times years ago, which makes him qualified to be on the left, that's for sure, because the New York Times has all the news fit to print. Well, kind of. You know, I don't, want, I don't subscribe to the news, uh, to the, uh, uh, the Times anymore. And I used to love the Times. I mean, that was a great way to spend the Sunday. When I was younger and I used to get the Times, it weighed about 80 tons, and you take it home, and it occupied a good part of a day. And if you had a girlfriend and you were in college, you sat back and you read the Times and you pretended you were very intellectually, you know, up to date. See, I need something like that. Yeah, I know you do. Well, you need a girl. Well, that too. Okay. <laughs> and a copy well, of the Times. Now. We can, and, a, and a good copy yeah. of the Times. Good copy Times, the girl, and uh, Eggs Benedict on a Sunday, you got it made. But the point is that um, here, so we had a, a guy, Steve Ratner, comes in as a car czar, and, and he doesn't know anything about cars. And that stuff comes out. And eventually, he actually quits. One day, he comes into office and says, effective today, I'm no longer the car czar, I quit. Boom, gone. So they bring in another car czar. Uh, this guy was the uh, attorney for the uh, United Steelworkers. So you have an AFL-CIO guy, which, wow, what a surprise. Let me think, it's the largest contributor to, oh, oh that's right, it was the, the unions. That's right. He owes the unions a lot, doesn't he? I, and there's a lot of that going on. Right, exactly. So, yeah, so then we, we, America watches that. All right. Then we have the taking over of banks, you know, the finance system in the United States. You know, and then we're starting to tell people what they can do and can't do and, you know, what, what, what rates you can, you know, give people for salaries and can and cannot do. So we have that situation, you know. Then we have this foreign policy situation where the president allowed himself to be used in Latin America at the conference uh, down in Trinidad to uh, where Chavez, you know, presented him with a book that was pro-communist. And he allowed himself to be used in that situation. But then, of course, he goes to Europe and he starts being apologetic for the foreign policy of the United States because, after all, we're the bad Americans. And then we intimidate people. We're aggressive. We're arrogant. We're, you know, uh, selfish. And uh, as, as his wife once said that, you know, I've never been proud of America until now when she was running for office. Now, what is that all about? Well, that sets people off. And, and you see what he's doing right now. But then he starts surrounding himself. You know, he starts surrounding himself with a lot of people, you know, that those just they just don't dig on this. And, and you wonder, well, hmm, what is that all about? Why why does he have all these these people 
you know, uh, surrounding him. And, uh, and, and uh, well, that came out in the election when he was running. You know, people said, wait a second, you know, pay attention to, you know, who he is surrounding himself with because this isn't good. And, and that became evident again this week when Van Jones, his green giant czar, green giant job czar, gets thrown out. Now, why did he get thrown out? Well, let, let's back up for a minute for a second, get some perspective on this and why America may have been concerned that the president was going to give a speech, albeit a pretty milquetoast speech today. No, stay in school, be good, don't do bad things. We have some sound things. from that, by the way, as well, you, if you'd let, like You know some. what? Why don't you play a little bit of that? You know, play just a couple of cuts of that. You can find it. You make your own future. That's what young people like you are doing every day all across America. Young people like Jasmine Perez from Roma, Texas. Jasmine didn't speak English when she first started school. Neither of her parents had gone to college. But she worked hard, earned good grades, and got a scholarship to Brown University as now in graduate school studying public health on her way to becoming Dr. Jasmine Perez. I'm thinking about Andoni Schultz from Los Altos, California, who's fought brain cancer since he was three. He's had to endure all sorts of treatments and surgeries, one of which affected his memory, so it took him much longer hundreds of extra hours to do his schoolwork. But he never fell behind. He's headed to college this fall. And then there's Chantel Steve from my hometown of Chicago, Illinois. Even when bouncing from foster home to foster home in the toughest neighborhoods in the city, she managed to get a job at a local health care center, start a program to keep young people out of gangs, and she's on track to graduate high school with honors and go on to college. And Jasmine, and Doni, and Chantel aren't any different from any of you. So, I mean, what, what I find interesting in this, Alex, thanks for playing that cut, is that <clears throat> it would appear that there is an agenda here. Um, I have no problem talking about minority kids. I think it's important. I think it's great that, that minorities can make it here in America. That's what America is all about. When I was a kid growing up, we were taught about the melting pot, the concept of America being a melting pot of all different creeds and ethnic ethnic backgrounds. Also a fantastic restaurant, by the way. And Yes, exactly. Melting pot restaurant. For those of you who like fondue, can you fondue? But the point is that that's what America is all about. That's what makes America great, that you can come here and, and, and go through this Horatio Alger uh, concept of working hard and achieving. No guarantees that you're going to make it. You don't have, you know, a guarantee from anybody that you're going to make it. But you do have the guarantee. You do have the promise from the from the Constitution and our Bill of Rights that you have the right to achieve, that you have, well, you know, Cadillac picked up on that, life, liberty, and the pursuit. You know, that's their big ad campaign, life, liberty, and the pursuit, pursuit of happiness. You have those rights, those inalienable rights to achieve and learn and do. That's what makes America great. All right, we all know that. Now I want to get some perspective on what we're talking about and why he does this. Look at some of the people that, have, that the president has surrounded himself with over all these years. Things that came out in the election, and we were told, well, it's just a distraction. It, it, you shouldn't listen to this. People like Reverend Wright. We shouldn't pay attention to Reverend Wright. I mean, all right, so what he says that, you know, you know God blank America. He said that God blank America. 
Now, in any other day and age, if it were the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and 90s, that would have disqualified this person from running. But hey, but what happened from that, and a lot of me thought it was racist for people to pick up on that because it was a black minister, by the way, in a mixed congregation, but a black minister from Chicago, we were told that it was a distraction, and then we get a lecture on slavery the following Wednesday from Independence Hall area in, in, in Philadelphia where the uh, candidate Obama was running. Okay, so Reverend Wright's one of them. Then he had Van Jones behind him. Van Jones, self-professed communist. I guess that's okay now if you have a, an avowed communist in, in the... In the it's uh, called being unique now. Yeah, it's... It, well, maybe... What, what do some people say? What's wrong with a little socialism? Yeah, I think communists now are, are kind of revered as being, like, great thinkers and thinking outside the box, well, very creative people. Well, you're right. Lenin and Marxists. Yeah. Marx were They're looked great. up to now. And we're not talking about John, by the way. Lenin, you know, we're no. talking serious guys and serious dudes who really hurt a country. What did the Russian Revolution do? What did communism do for Russia? It took away the, the, the reason to achieve. You didn't have to achieve. It screwed up a manufacturing system. It screwed up a, dis- a, a distribu- distribution system. Bottom line, guys, it didn't work. But, all right, got Van Jones there. Van Jones written three books, a Yale graduate. Doesn't mean just because you're well-educated, you're a nice guy. A racist who said that white people were poisoning, we were spraying minorities in the field. That we were poisoning minorities. His own words, I'm not making it up. You can go on YouTube and see any of this. Van Jones. Bill Ayers. Bill Ayers, an avowed terrorist, blew up the Pentagon. William Ayers and his wife blew up the Pentagon. But that's okay. It's a distraction. Then he surrounds himself with Rashid Khalidi, Jeff Jones, the Apollo Alliance, Acorn, Acorn, 14 indictments, 14 different federal indictments coming down against Acorn for doing illegal, wrong federally funded, miserable misappropriation of funds, manipulation of the stats in, you know, group organization. We're told that's a distraction. In fact, what's really scaring a lot of people out there is that ACORN, the president's group, is tapping ACORN to do part of the census for us. Now, isn't that incredible? Of course, I guess they'll do a better job than the post office getting into all the homes around the United States because I guess they go there every day. But Oh, that's right. The post office goes to your home every day, don't they? They actually know you by name. They actually know you with your family. They actually know you if you're singular. They actually know where your mail goes because they deliver it all the time. And they actually need the money because the post office is going broke. That's another whole conversation. Ben Franklin is turning over in his grave. But that's okay. That's not a big deal. Acorn's good for America. But he surrounds himself with that, along with Cass Sunstein and John Holdren. I mean, it, it goes on and on and on and on. Emmanuel, you know, Rahm Emanuel's brother, who talks about euthanasia, talks about, you know, uh, restricting uh, children through abortion. In his writings, they're calling him the Dr. Mengele of the United States. And we have others out there that are like that. They're surrounding the president, you know, and, and, and that's okay. So maybe some of these actions, you know, are starting to affect, you know, the president. Now, for the last few weeks, and to his credit, Glenn Beck really took the lead on this with Van Jones, and I've been following it because this guy's a bad dude. You know, he resigned last Saturday. Uh, of course, you wouldn't know it because 
basically none of the main media, ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSNBC, really bad group of news folks. Leave CNBC out of it for the time being because they don't play on, on the weekend with their, with, their, um, with their discussion of the economy. But the resignation came. He resigned. He was literally attacked by, you know, America. Why? Well, you know, amongst other things, he called the Republicans just two weeks ago. You know, you want to know why no one likes them? Because they're a bunch of a-holes. In public, he said that. They're That's a bunch of nice a-holes. Yeah. You know, of course, he denies all of this because when he resigned, he said, you know, it's because of a lot of, uh, let me just think. I want to get his exact words that he uses. They are using lies and distortions to distract and divide. Um, uh, according to um, Mr. Jones. Oh, shut up. That's right, except for one thing. He also signed a document for the 9-11 truthers, the 9-11 truthers. And the 9-11 truthers, Alex, and for those of you out there who don't know about it, uh, are those, you know, crazies who actually believe the Bush administration would go out of their way and create an illegal activity, a subversive legal activity, to sabotage and destroy the World Trade Center towers, to fly the planes into the towers, to arrange for all of this to happen, that there were explosions in the towers that were preset that would go off. I get emails on this all the time from some idiots in Fort Lauderdale who send this to me. Those are the truthers. They want the truth to come out. Even though there have been Many investigations, you can even watch it on the Discovery Channel, how the building, why did the buildings pancake down? Well, they, they're designed to collapse that way. Everyone loves a good conspiracy theory is the yeah, problem. They're designed to collapse that way when the steel structure melts, which is exactly what happened. The molecular structure was so hot, thousands of degrees hot, that the molecules actually changed in the steel and they pancaked. So this guy quits. Actually, he got thrown out by Obama. And he's saying that we are using lies and distortions to distract and divide. And, of course, everybody else, including Axelrood from Chicago, says, well, you know, um, he showed his commitment to his cause by removing himself. Are you kidding me? This guy was an avowed anti-American. And his whole green concept, his whole green concept was a massive concept to change America. Not so much with the green. Well, that's another whole discussion, the politics of green. But the redistribution of wealth. I'm Rothman. I'll be right back on 880 right here. The cargo gateway of the Americas. The Port of Miami contributes more than $17 billion annually to the South Florida economy and helps provide direct and, direct and indirect employment for approximately 180,000 jobs. Among its goals is to promote growth in Miami's cruise and cargo industries and to make sure that every port user can conduct business safely, effectively, and efficiently. A new terminal that is larger than some mid-sized airport. The new Miami International Airport. A new 350-space ground-level short-term parking lot. The new Miami International Airport. The only U.S. airport with sleep pods. The new Miami International Airport. 
the international gateway to the Americas with more flights to South America than all U.S. airports combined. The new Miami International Airport. And coming soon, 61 new retail and food shops to add to your airport savoir-faire. Come experience the new Miami International Airport and watch what us I move picture, forward. You know those, uh, the new Miami International Airport. Where in like South that, Florida can you find a truly elegant hotel with 276 closet. luxury guest rooms, offering a newly renovated championship golf course, tennis courts, the largest hotel swimming pool in the country with private poolside cabanas, a world-class spa, and an award-winning fitness center with a restaurant that Zagat called one of the best restaurants in the country, all spread over a 150-acre tropical paradise landscape. Give up? At Biltmore Coral Gables, Miami, a golf and spa resort. Built in 1926, Biltmore Coral Gables, Miami, the golf and spa resort, is a South Florida landmark. With all the amenities to make your next getaway weekend or night away from the kids a memorable experience, visit www.biltmorehotel.com for more information or call 1-800-747-1926 for reservations. Your next great getaway weekend or night out awaits you at Biltmore Coral Gables, Miami, a golf and spa resort. Do you own a business outsourcing your accounting? Then call the accounting and tax experts at TNJ Tax Service. For over 30 years, TNJ Tax Service has been preparing taxes for South Florida companies and individuals. As enrolled agents with the Internal Revenue Service, the pros at TNJ Tax Service can represent you or your company professionally to the IRS. Have challenges with your company's bookkeeping? Then call TNJ Tax Services. QuickBooks certified. TNJ Tax Services can provide training on QuickBooks for any small business. If you need monthly or quarterly bookkeeping services to handle all of your payroll and business needs, then you need to call TNJ and J Tax Service, located at Taft and Flamingo in the Pillbox Plaza. Call 954-432-1700. 954-432-1700. TNJ Tax Services. No one covers local, national, and world news like Rich Rothman. And no one covers local, national, and world shipping like DHL. DHL. Customer service is back in shipping. From Atlantic Radio Network. Fresh talk with a South Florida flavor. Aw, can't we keep him? Yeah, Dad, can't we? We'll feed the perfect man and, and clean up after him and everything. Super swear. The RichRothmanShow.com. Please. Now, he's an abomination. This is The Rich Rothman Show. Okay, welcome back. It's uh, 33 minutes after the hour, and we uh, if you're driving home right now, take it easy, take it slow, listen to the voice, and uh, if you have some ideas you'd like to share with us, uh, if you get a chance, 866-954-4276. On the phone right now, uh, Dr. Charles Russo from Fort Lauderdale. How are you, Dr. Charles Russo? I'm doing fine, Rich. How are you doing? We're doing well. I hope you had a good holiday. Yeah, it was a great weekend, actually. The weather was pretty crummy except for yesterday, but uh, the weekend was good. I it is it is uh, it is a good thing to be that way. Well, I got to tell you something. Since uh, we haven't had you on the show for a number of weeks, but uh, you know, healthcare continues to be two topics are just topping everybody off. Number one, bring out your dead. That's right. Uh, one of them happens to be healthcare, and the other one happens to be the economy. Both of which are dead right now. So you know what you know what? It, let me ask you a question, and and I'm intrigued by this. What is this AMA thing? What what they're talking about that too? What is this AMA thing? What's the story with these guys? Are they are they in favor? Are they really in favor of this health care reform? They can't be. You know what? I I, you, I have not seen an official position uh, from the uh, AMA in terms of 
what they're for or what they're against. I hear the administration say, saying that they're on board, just like they're saying other groups are on board. Although I have to tell you, for the first time in probably two decades, I withdrew my membership from the AMA. Good for you. Uh, at this point, uh, and so have and so have most of my partners at this point, um, the problem with the AMA is that their positions get so watered down because they have so many doctors um, uh, that they're trying to do things for uh, that in the end they, they do nothing. Um, and uh, I don't think they have the doctors or the American public's best interest at heart anymore. I think they're just like the AARP, which also is losing thousands and, hundreds and tens of thousands of members lately. They, they lost me. I uh, sent my card back. Well, I've, I've gotten a, uh, I've gotten a, an invite, but I haven't actually ever done anything about it. I'm you're too young. <laughs> no, you know they start sending it to you when you're fifty. I know that. I know my sister made sure I got that just to humiliate me. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, l- l- let's go back to this health care thing. You know, a lot of people, and it's getting very very heated, and it's going to get wild. I mean, Max Backus today, who's you know you know he's a top senator. You know, leading the cause for, uh, out of Montana, by the way, leading the cause for President Obama. He's, listen to this, Charlie. He's calling for fines of up to $3,800 on families who fail to get medical insurance after a health care overhaul goes into effect. Don't you think that's going to scare a few people, including you? I, I, I think the whole, the whole thing is crazy. I think at this point it's gotten so political um, that... Uh, Nothing constructive is going to be done. I think the Democrats fear at this point that if they get nothing done, uh, if they if they just let it ride and they try and do something thoughtful later on, that their president is going to lose and they're going to lose in the elections in the next two years, in the next four years. So they just want to just ram something down everybody's throat without good thought, just like the, the re- recovery package that was a waste of, of time and effort um, uh, and, and nobody read. Um, I think, you know, I think clearly things need to be done in medicine. I think that people's insurance needs to be portable. I think that prior uh, illnesses need to be covered. I think that it needs to be more affordable. But but I think that to socialize the system is insane at this point. Um, I mean, if you, the last article I read about Canada uh, is, is that that system is completely going bankrupt. The only reason why the Canadians are happy with it is because then they really need to get something done. They just drive across the border and get it done. If they didn't have the United States health care system as their outlet, you wouldn't be hearing such great things at all about the, the Canadian system um, because it, it's in dire straits, as is the public health system in England, as is the public health system in France, in Germany, and Italy, etc. Well, you know what? The interest, you're right. And I was listening to a few of the, uh, the Democrat senators and, and other congressional folks talk about Canada, saying, oh, well, they always drag out the three people from Canada who can't get health care. But what's interesting in a recent study done by uh, uh, the University of North Carolina, South Carolina, rather, Medical University of South Carolina, the proportion of middle aged Canadian women who have never had a mammogram is twice the U.S. rate, and three times as many Canadian women have never had a pap smear. Well, Here's the other thing, too, with all of these great socialized systems, whether it's in Western Europe or in Canada. If we have such a horrible medical system, if, if we're doing so badly on this side of the ocean, first of all, why does everybody come here for health care when they really need it? Um, and, and secondly, why are our rates of, of screening of all of, of major cancers, such as colon cancer and breast 
breast cancer in particular, so much higher than these systems where it's given to the patients for free and, and it's not done in a timely manner. Our rates of, of uh, screening for, in, in particular for breast and colon cancer, are higher. Our rates, our rates of discovery of diseases at earlier junctures are higher. Our rates of cure particularly for breast and colon cancer, are higher than Western Europe and Canada. Well, that's absolutely correct. And, and let me point out again, 20% of Canadian men have ever been te- have never been tested. Have, no, fewer than 20% of Canadian men have ever been tested for prostate uh, antigens. Compared to about 50% of the U.S., yeah. only 10% of adult Canadians have ever had a colonoscopy, Charles. I know. It, it, you know that's standard procedure here. This is just... It's a, and the other thing that scares me about the whole whole system is that we're driving medicine in the world at this point because uh, everywhere else there's no reason for innovation there's no reason for new drugs there's no reason for new procedures there's no reason for new techniques because the government stifles all of that with with socialized medicine there's no incentive for anybody to do anything if we go if we knuckle under two i'm really afraid that that as far as medicine is concerned we're we're going to really start to slip and slide um, uh, technologically, and, and we're not going to be innovators, and we're not going to be world leaders, and we're going to become just as mediocre as the rest of Western Europe in well, terms of everything. that's exactly correct. You know, Britain only has one-fourth, that's uh, only one-fourth, 25% of the, uh, the many CT scanners that we have in the U.S., and only one-third as many MRI scanners as we have in the U.S., which goes back to your statement that if you can't you know, pre-diagnose a major disease, then you have a big problem. If I didn't find out back in in, uh, in March of 2003 that I had prostate cancer, and I found it out at a very early state, I mean, really lucky that I found it, because we did simple tests, nothing major, simple tests, you know, chances are that I would never have known because there aren't really symptoms until it's too late. And then I, I could have died of prostate cancer a year or two or three years later, just well, like you know Jerry Orbach did on uh, Law and Order. Well, and just just like uh, uh, Frank Zappa did exactly, uh, and, and he was only sixty, and Bill Bixby, and he was fifty-nine. I mean, these diseases do kill. I mean, when you get it when you're eighty, it's a different disease than when you get it right. in your fifties. Less aggressive. But let me let me bring you back to your original point because I think you have it backwards. The reason why there are only that many CAT scanners and MRI scanners in England and, and proportionately in France and Germany uh, and Canada is because they don't want the technology. It costs too much money. So if you don't have it, you can't spend it. See, that's a great point. Here, here is what, and by the way, America, folks listening to this on 880 The Biz, we're on the phone with Dr. Charles Russo from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, well-known physician. Uh, and uh, and we're talking about the health care situation. Don't think that you can't have an effect upon this vote that's going to come sometime. It's a blank. Fill in the blank. In 80 days, 70 days, 60 days, you know, if the Democrats have their way, they'll do it next week. You know, they could, they could pull the nuclear option, and they'll do it without any Republicans, which I think would start a revolution in the United States, by the way. Well, Not a me, good idea. Let me re- also reiterate your point. They've already had an effect. This is unbelievable. I can't. I, I, for one, am very happy that the American public has finally woken up and gotten out and made their voices known. I don't know if you're aware of this because, again, you won't see it on the mainstream media. There was an anti-Obama uh, rally on Saturday on Oakland and Federal Highway in Fort Lauderdale with mostly, mostly senior citizens holding up signs, don't mortgage my grandchildren's future 
honk if you agree with us. Um, you know, and so on. And, you know, and it's and it's amazing. And I, there is no group that organized that, contrary to to the uh, paranoia of of the people in power at this point. But I think it's a, I think it's a much deeper problem here. I'm I'm just getting so disgusted when I look at these people, and and whether they're Democrats or Republicans, I really think we just need to vote them all out at this point. Well, it's interesting because according to Scott Rasmussen, 50 percent of those polled last week would vote everybody out of Congress right now. They, just they get rid of them. To, they need to be. I think you need to have two terms in the Senate, you know, three or four terms in the House. And, that, and that's it. You need to be voted out and, and get new blood in there. Well, um, there is and, a— and Don't take money from anybody. Charles, let me, let me, let me run another thing by you. Um, we, we talk about the technology, and yes, when you're going to provide health care, particularly in a single-payer single system, which is what Obama really wants, because he said that in front of the AFL-CIO in Detroit in 2003, that's on YouTube. Anybody can go and look at that right now. Look for President Obama, a speech given by Barack Obama in 2003 to the AFL-CIO at their annual meeting in Detroit. He said that. Now, a piece came out today uh, out of England. Restrictions on prescription of osteoporosis drugs defy belief, says a leading doctor in, in Britain, in the U.K., and the point is that thousands of women are being denied better osteoporosis drugs because of unnecessarily restrictive government guidelines, according to this doctor. Um, uh, NICE, that's the acronym for National Institute of Health Clinical Excellent. NICE, this is sort of like Spectre from James Bond, has previously been criticized for banning or restricting breakthrough medicines for conditions such as breast cancer, which I knew about that, and Alzheimer's disease. In other words, Charlie, why are they turning it down? It goes back to what you said before. It's, it's expensive. Right. They don't, want, they don't want to pay for it. There, was, there, was, there were similar articles uh, from Canada this weekend about Avastin and other new anti-cancer drugs, uh, anti-breast cancer in particular, drugs uh, that are saving lives uh, you know, for women every day that are being restricted uh, in these countries because they say they're, they're, that there are better, cheaper alternatives. And meanwhile, uh, it's the standard of care in this country. And even... Even the, the powers that be, the, the, the honest physicians in those countries, are finally starting, maybe to their own peril, to stand up and say, this isn't right. This is second-class medicine. Well, what they're saying is that a, a panel doesn't, may not necessarily be MDs, by the way, but a panel, under their guidelines, uh, will decide whether you're going to go ahead and get you know, some of these drugs, or for that matter, some of the technology, uh, that you may or may not want. And, and, um, but under guidelines, uh, sufferers may have to wait up to five years for their condition to deteriorate before being put on more expensive treatments with fewer side effects and, and newer drugs. In other words, what they're saying is that your risk isn't high enough yet to have the better drug. You've got to wait until you're sicker. I thought, the, I thought the whole point of having a single-payer system was preventative care. I thought you were supposed to get there sooner and prevent... Well, I don't know. You see, the point is that, uh, and this is why people are getting scared. And you know what? You're right. You're seeing democracy in action, even though Nancy Pelosi uh, said that they're astroturf, which means they're not real, and also that they were carrying swastikas, which, of course, they weren't. You know, that they stormed meetings, which they didn't. Uh, we, we, need, we need to vote these people out. And, and they got to go. I mean, you even had senators and congressional people refuse. A woman in New York, upstate New York, refuses to have a town hall meeting. I will not subject myself yeah. to that. Well, wait a second. That sounds very aristocratic to me, doesn't it? It sounds like the 1800s or 1700s in England. Well, 
did you see the article? Uh, I don't remember whether it was the Sun Sentinel or the Herald about uh, Debbie Washerman Schultz's whitewashed uh, town hall meeting. There was somebody had a scathing letter about how it was one of those invitation only. Don't really want to hear dissenting opinions. Uh, I had a town meeting so I can check it off as having been done. Uh, you know, and unfortunately, someone that, that was young and started out with a lot of promise uh, is, is just turned into another, you know, lapdog for her party. Well, but that's exactly correct. And so these people, here, here's the deal, and, and this is why it's important. We just found out that Van Jones resigned uh, yesterday yeah. after the weekend. Good. And, of course, he says that it was all on trumped-up charges and they were lies and distortions and he went ahead. He didn't, he didn't really understand. He didn't really mean what that 9-11 truth or statement is that he signed that document. He didn't mean he apologized. So I guess the point being that either he was you know, a freaking idiot and he just signed it or he actually read it and didn't understand it because well, he's an idiot. You can go on YouTube and find any one of ten other statements that he's made that are downright uh, anarchist and uh, and and anti-American uh, on YouTube, and they're not edited. They're just full statements that he made. The man, the man is. A, He's a racist. He's whites, whites are poisoning minorities in the United States. That's yes, what he I said. Yeah, that whites are poisoning. Plan. We're spraying them in the fields. We're actually having the planes go over them and destroy them in the field. Not a good idea. So the point is, Charles, that conversations <clears throat> such as this and conversations that you see with Beck and conversations that you see on the street and the fact that people have tea parties that no one takes seriously. You know, Giraffalo, the comedian, no, and I don't think she's too funny anymore. She's, the she's a moron. And, and she's saying, well, all these people are racist. None of the, you know, if, if you're against Obama, then you're a racist. Actually, a congressional woman out in California... Uh, Diane uh, Watson last week said the same thing. Those who are against the president are racist. Those don't want him to succeed. He is a man of the same color as myself. And, and, and th th that doesn't resonate well with America. Whether you're black, white, green, yellow makes no difference. The point is you have to discuss it, and I think these conversations are good. Charlie, what does the health community really want out of this? I think what we want out of it is that we want people to have access to affordable health care that we don't have to worry when they come into our office or into the hospital that they're not going to be able to take to forget about whether they're even paying us that's a minor point are they able to take the treatments that we want to prescribe for them or not do they really have to think about whether or not they can afford it um, I mean if a person is sick and they need a specific treatment we'd rather give them the best treatment that they can have and the best drugs that they can have and not think about it um, Doctors just want to be able to take care of patients in general and don't want to have to think about uh, wh whether or not, uh, you know, they can afford it uh, or I guess whether the system can afford it. I guess somewhere down the line we all have to decide um, if, if things are reasonable or not reasonable in terms of, of health care. But there should be committees, I think, of, of doctors that decide that, whether a treatment is reasonable or not reasonable, whether a drug is equivalent or not equivalent, and not, and not businessmen or bureaucrats or, or government uh, bureaucrats, for that matter, that are deciding things based on uh, economics. I mean, there, are, there is economics that has crept into medicine now, and everybody talks about it. For instance, if, if, and this is the, the most, uh, the most 
scary statistic that's out there, and it's out there over and over again. If, if a, a treatment costs more than $50,000 a year, um, it, it may not be worth it in, in terms of patient lives. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, you know, I, I mean, stuff like that gets me, gets me really scared. Uh, the other thing is that although I think a lot of this end-of-life talk was rhetoric, I don't think anybody really had uh, uh, death squads in mind. I think anybody that has come into a hospital for the last decade knows that they're asked if they have a living will, if they would like to sign a living will. Nobody is counseling them on how they should go off like the Eskimo on, on the on the ice and, 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 I, and sail. Kind of a nice the, idea. I think. The night, or like the old Indians did, you go off into the plains and, and just not bother us. But by the same token, people should be apprised of the fact that there are uh, what the reasonable expectations are of their recovery from uh, any disease process with or without treatment. And some people will logically decide, look, I don't want to go through that. And they do every day. You know, uh, if it doesn't really mean that much in terms of longevity, and, I, and there might be a significant downside in terms of what I'm going to suffer, then, you know, maybe I just want to remain intact and enjoy my last months on earth uh, in peace and quiet with my friends and family uh, with dignity. And, and, you know, these aren't Kevorkian. They're not death squads. And, uh, uh, and, and they are, it, those are things that are done every day by compassionate uh, doctors and nurses and, and other health care providers. Yeah, but you know what? You just said it. Between the patient and the doctors or the hospital. I mean, I know when I've had surgeries, particularly my prostate surgery, which is pretty extensive, it was like 11 hours worth of surgery, uh, I, they would not do it without a living will. Well, Richard, you want to talk about that. You know what the state of the art now is for prostate surgery? It's robotic, okay? Uh, they do total prostatectomies uh, with the Da Vinci machine. It's robotic. That's the state of the art. And there are, are a few regional uh, places that, and, and people that do it very, very well. And, uh, and they do it all over this country. And I bet you, you can't find one place in Canada or in Western Europe where it's being done. Probably not. Charlie, hang on for a second. We have Carol on the phone right now from Boca. Carol, you have a question? No, I have a comment, Rich. You were talking about, you know, committees deciding whether people should get treatment. Yep. Um, I have a friend whose uh, grandson uh, needed um, a, uh, to wear a helmet to uh, protect his brain from uh, shifting to one position. And um, he, the cost of this treatment, which is going to be a six-month thing, is uh, roughly in the neighborhood of $3,000. Both his parents have excellent insurance, and the insurance company denied the 3000 but they're willing to pay for the extensive surgery that he would need later down the road. And I think that's an outrage. You know, here it's this is preventive treatment. That's ridiculous. And and, and and both the parents have insurance. Different companies they work for different companies or organizations, and both their companies turned them down on on picking up the three thousand dollars. And uh, but they're willing to pay for the operation, which would cost thousands of dollars if he should need an operation like having his eyes reset or his brain shifted and things like that. I mean, it sounds to me like there are many insurance companies are deciding not to go with preventive care. Well, you know, she brings up an important point that um, there has to be some logical body that decides, and I think medical body that decides what's, what's 
reasonable and not reasonable on a case-by-case basis, because I don't even think you can make blanket statements a lot of the time um, in terms of that. And and you can't have insurance uh, company bureaucrats uh, doing it, because they're going to always make a decision based on Bottom line. And in this case, it it even sounds insane. $3,000 in this economy for any kind of preventative care is nothing compared to what the surgery on on that child is going to cost. Well, that's true. And, Carol, we want to thank you for that phone call. There's no question. I think all of us want to have reform in health care. I agree with that. I think you should. There are a number of things out there that I love to see. Number one, you can buy your policy across the states in the United States. I mean, we're restricted to six policy um, uh, providers in the state of Florida. It really restricts the pricing structure. Number two, tort reform is really important for you guys. The the jury awards are obscene, and as a result, the the pricing's high. Yeah, regardless, I'm tired of hearing that there are studies that show it has no impact on medicine. I can tell you as a practicing physician, it has an impact every day in a physician's office and in the hospital. It absolutely does. Again, what is 98% of most of the legislatures in the state lawyers? What are they in Congress? Lawyers. I mean, this is ridiculous. What, what are the biggest contributors to the Democratic Party uh, beyond the unions? Uh, the American Bar Association. I mean, this, this is a, 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 an insane conversation. Tort reform has to be part of some package. Well, that's it. And you know what? We're out of time, Charlie. It's, no, don't be sorry. It was a great conversation. Uh, Dr. Charles Russo, Fort Lauderdale, good to have you on the phone. Author of the book, The Fort Lauderdale Diet. Get a copy from Charles Russo. Get a copy from Amazon, but get a copy. Get a hold of Charlie. Thanks for being here. We want to thank you all for listening to The Rich Rothman Show on 880 The Biz. We're going to be back next week, this time, right here on 880. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great evening. We'll be back next week. I'm new wave, but I'm old school, and my inner child is outward bound. I'm a hot-wired, heat-seeking, warm-hearted, cool customer, voice-activated and biodegradable. For more of the good, the bad. I interface in my database. My database is in cyberspace. The business. So I'm interactive, I'm hyperactive, and from time to time, I'm radioactive. This is The Rich Rothman Show, 880 AM, The Biz.